Hi guys, Al here. Just wanted to pop in before the episode starts and let you all know that Will has decided to take some time away from the podcast and to step back. We wish him all the best and we definitely would love to have him on a future episode. So I just want to let you guys know that before we start and I hope that you guys will all welcome our new co-host Nathan with open arms. Greetings mortals. Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. I'm Al. I'm Nathan. Join us for a deep dive into some of history's most fascinating characters who live dangerously beautiful lives and whose legacies haunt us today. Well, Nathan, welcome to Fatal Fortunes. Why don't you introduce yourself to the people? Hello, I'm Nathan. Um, so happy to be on the show. Uh, I first met Al when we were studying abroad um, and had some great times at many different bars, many different coffee coffee shops. Um, and currently, I am just kind of working to survive, um, as many people do, uh, at a movie theater and at a brewery, respectively. And I'm actually drinking a beer from there. It's a King Louie double IPA, and it is pretty strong. So I'm going to take it slow during this recording for sure. What percent is it? Oh, my God. I didn't. Let me check. It is. It's nine. So I feel like I'm a bit of a lightweight. And that's those are those are big boy numbers right there. Damn. Taking it slow. (laughs) I am enjoying. Um. More kombucha. I love kombucha, and I put some mm-hmm. Tito's vodka in it. Ooh. So let's hop right into Bruce Lee by talking about what was happening the year he was born. So in 1940, Germany invaded basically everybody. Benjamin O. Davis Sr. becomes the first black general in the United States Army. Hattie McDaniels becomes the first African-American to win an Academy Award. FDR is elected to his third term in office as president, and Leon Trotsky is assassinated in Mexico. Rest in peace to Trotsky. You would have loved Rina Sawayama. (laughs) He really would have. Oh, my God. Okay, so Bruce Lee was born Lee Jun Fan on November 27th, 1940, in both the hour and year of the dragon at the Chinese hospital in San Francisco, California. His father, Li Hoi Chen, was an opera singer of Han Chinese descent, and his mother, Grace Ho, was of mixed Chinese and European ancestry. He had an older brother, Peter, and a younger, Robert, along with sisters, Agnes and Phoebe. They had previously lost a male child, so Grace was particularly protective of Bruce. Shortly after Bruce's birth, the family moved back to Hong Kong because the clouds of World War II are definitely forming around 1940 when they move. Lee starts acting right out the womb. He is in his first film in 1941 as an infant called Golden Gate Girl. He attended Taksun School and later to LaSalle College, a Catholic school. He wasn't the best student and transferred to another Catholic school called St. Francis Xavier College. The gang scene in Hong Kong is really present in Lee's childhood. So after some street fights, his father enrolls him in martial arts at age 13. Lee later reflected on his childhood on the street and said, I only took up Kung Fu when I began to feel insecure. I kept wondering what would happen to me if my gang was not around. 
He was actually rejected from one school because he was considered a foreigner because he had been born in the U.S. and because of his mother's European ancestry. He started training with Wing Chun, even though he has been allowed to join for some of the same reasons a lot of his peers won't train with him, so he's still an outsider. Win Chun fosters Bruce's love of philosophy. In 1958, Bruce won two awards, one for the island-wide boxing competition and another as a cha-cha dancer. He's a multi-talented individual at a very young age. Yes, he's only like 17 at this time. During his teen years, Lee is still getting into those fights that had led to him becoming involved in martial arts in the first place, and he comes to blows with the son of a big police chief. Lee gets into a street fight so bad later that he ends up in jail. His mother doesn't say anything to his father, and she signs papers saying that she will take full responsibility if he gets in trouble again. Because Bruce has bad grades and being in Hong Kong is no longer a safe place for Bruce, they decide to send him back to the U.S. with $100. According to his daughter, she said that because he had left at such a young age, he had to go back before he was 18 to be able to assert his citizenship. Hmm. And while Bruce was getting into all the gang trouble, um, he was just about to make it big in the Hong Kong film scene because by the time Bruce leaves Hong Kong, he's appeared in over 20 films. Bruce's sister Agnes is actually already living in San Francisco at this time. And while he stays with her for a little while, he ends up settling in Seattle and he finishes high school there. Later, his brother Peter moves to Seattle with him and he stays for a while until he goes to Minnesota for college. In 1959, Lee starts teaching martial arts. Takei Kimura became his first pupil at this time, and he went on to teach in Bruce's same philosophy and style for the rest of his life, and he actually only died this year at age 96. I saw that in, in January. Yeah. So recent. Living that, living that long must be really weird. He's seen so much, and I, I think it's incredible that he went on to teach for so long. Like... That is really impressive to me that he was probably still teaching up until his final years. Yeah, until probably COVID. Mm, yep. In 1960, at the age of 20, Bruce graduated from Edison Technical High School in Seattle. The next year, he began studying at the University of Washington, where he majored in drama. A lot of people say that his major was philosophy, even himself, but the record actually shows otherwise. Lee dropped out in 1964 and moved back to the Bay Area to learn under a new teacher, James Yim Lee. They opened a school together, and an American friend of his brought him to the 1964 Long Beach International Karate Championships, where he showed off the one-inch punch and the two-finger push-up. Lee is training non-Chinese people at this time in the secrets of martial arts and ends up getting in trouble with people of his own community, but I really see this as Lee like extending the hand he didn't get growing up to others. Yeah, I think that it's it's tough for him his whole life. Um, it seems like both sides don't really want to accept him, um, and that is just something that he wants. He wants to be a part of all of these different kinds of arts, whether it be martial arts, um, you know, with film later on, and it never feels like he's ever accepted um at least you know when while he was alive definitely and i think in even his even in his philosophy he just wanted to bridge divides and share philosophy and martial arts and so many more other things with people and i think that that's part of why he's such a cultural icon because he 
didn't judge anyone. He taught whoever wanted to learn martial arts. I think that that's part of his icon status. So while he was at the University of Washington, uh, Lee meets and really gets to know his future wife, Linda Lee Caldwell, who was a student of his uh, during those college years. She was studying to become a teacher in martial arts and knew who Bruce was actually from earlier uh, when he was at Garfield High School, uh, where she had been a student and saw his guest lectures in Chinese philosophy. And her friend, Sue Ann Kay, um, who also was a student of Lee's, lives right down the street from Linda. And Sue Ann had been actually Lee's first female student. So Linda asks Sue Ann who this stranger that she saw in the hallway was and ends up uh, in Linda starting to take her first Kung Fu lessons uh, that summer. So during their courtship, they would run back to his studio to watch General Hospital every day at 3 p.m., I think that's pretty cute to just have like a little tradition like that. Uh, and by the time that Lee's 24, he and Linda are married and they move to Oakland, California to start his second school with James Lee, another teacher in martial arts. At the time, um, 1964, I mean, like the Civil Rights Act has just passed, but interracial marriages were happening in California, not the rest of the country, though. Um, and Linda's parents were actually very opposed to the match initially until they saw how good of a team they were. I mean, I wonder if they like talked about the general hospital marathon that they would do every 3 p.m. Like that is commitment right there. Yeah. And I also, my mom was telling me that if you missed your show, you missed your show. They did That's not it. do replays. Yeah. There wasn't VHS. You missed your show. I know. And then like now it's so different. I feel like when I have a show to watch, I do feel obligated to wait. Um, at that time, like, yeah, if you missed it, it's that's it. Um, so you have to be there. And I think that Bruce and Linda proved that they, they were going to be there for each other. Totally. And Linda also said in an interview that I watched that that was the time in her life where she felt like she was really doing the right thing. So I think that's really cute. So we talked about it a little earlier. Uh, Bruce did have a very successful career as a child actor. He had 20 credits by the time he was, you know, leaving Hong Kong, and he's 18 at the time. Um, and that that acting career is partially due to his father, who saw that he had great talent in performing, and even his demonstrations would have this uh, sense of theatrics to them. At that karate. Uh, exhibition uh in 1964 he's in long beach california and he's given one of these demonstrations and there's a hairstylist in the crowd he sees him he contacts the producer and tells him all about bruce lee's incredible skills so a lot is happening for bruce and with the discovery at long beach his acting career it starts taking some precedence he's still working at his school and starring in shows like the green hornet and batman uh both shows playing the character kato and this is really where American audiences start seeing his signature fast fighting style on their television sets every uh, every Saturday. And the acting world and the teaching world are all intertwining because Lee's teaching people like Steve McQueen, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and James Garner to fight. So he's got his first movie role uh, branching away from American television for this movie Marlowe in 1969. Um, and then in the same year, his daughter, Shannon Lee, is born. So the 60s were a very, very busy time 
He's got this television career ramping up. He's starting uh, his family with Linda Lee Caldwell. And now that he's got his first movie role, uh, he has a two-film contract for Golden Harvest um, with The Big Boss and Fists of Fury, each film beating box office records in Hong Kong. But both films got poor reviews from U.S. critics um, because, you know, as I've stated before, like, it's a racist country, especially back then. And it's uh, unfortunate that Bruce Lee really never got his start. Uh, But he's, after those films, making more movies. Um, He's making Way of the Dragon with his own company. Uh, He's founded, co-founded with Raymond Chow, Concord Productions. And that's his directorial debut. And the final film that he completed was Enter the Dragon, which was released um, and was supposed to really be the breakout role for American mainstream audiences to see Bruce Lee on the big screen. Um, It was made uh, with a lot of American names involved, but it was released after his death in 1973. The film has definitely stood the test of time, being the first ever Hong Kong American co-production and has been entered into the Library of Congress. It's widely regarded as one of the greatest martial arts movies of all time, as Lee is thought of as one of the greatest martial artists. I actually watched Fists of Fury, and I get why people didn't like it. It was a fine Mm. story, but what was really weird for me is that the whole thing was dubbed. Sorry, that's my dog in the background, if anyone hears her. Um, The whole thing is dubbed, and it was really weird for me because I don't get why they wouldn't have taken the time to have Bruce do his lines in English, because you really do lose a lot of his talent by silencing him yeah wow so they had like a completely different voice actor for bruce lee in that movie for everyone for every for everyone they all had like transatlantic white people accents oh my god and i think that's something you see a lot in his career unfortunately is that he is um either silenced or uncredited i mean he is really taken advantage of um, at least, um, especially by the American Hollywood uh, film industry. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Fatal Fortunes and helping us get the word out about the podcast. If you want to help us further, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, shout outs, stickers, exclusives, and more. For just $3 a month, you can listen to episodes of Fatal Fortunes before nobody else can and get exclusive content that you won't see here. Go take a look over at patreon.com slash fatal fortunes podcast. All one word. Again, that's patreon.com slash fatal slash fatal fortunes podcast. Hong Kong plays a huge, important role many times in Lee's life. First, when he was three months old, you know, he's moved back there with his whole family. And his father is an opera singer there. It's a place where he learns a lot of arts, dancing, poetry, Um, As we mentioned, he won that award, and uh, he first starts to act there as well. It's also the place where he got a job teaching Wing Chun, one of the many styles of martial arts that Lee had excelled in. After starting his family with Linda in 1965, he has been offered all of these roles only focusing on Asian stereotypes and the television show uh, that he came up with, Kung Fu, which I believe had a different name. Um, that they changed it to, he came up with it. That whole role was given to David Carradine because they didn't think an Asian lead would pull audiences. 
it's unfortunate that he's given no credit. And this is something that happens a lot in his career. He's stated in an interview, they think that business-wise, it is a risk. I don't blame them. If the situation were reversed and an American star were to come to Hong Kong, and I was the man with the money, I would have my own concerns as to whether the acceptance would be there. And I think that, I don't know, I think that he's he's keeping his cool when he says something like that. Um, because sure, be skeptical of the American wanting to make movies in Hong Kong. But as we've stated, Lee is of both worlds. Um, he was born in America. He is by every he has every right to be in the American film industry, and um, any chance that they get, it seems like producers are trying to stop him from you know achieving his goals. Which is also so weird because now today China definitely imports American stars. Yes, yeah, to do the leads in their movies. I think a Sprouse brother did it. I think yeah, that might be. Uh, I don't know. It's not Jughead. It's the oh, other dude, one. They're the, not, no offense. They're the same person. They're the same person. I, right. right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. So he he is, you know, dealing with not getting these television shows, but and also getting these stereotypes, wanting to escape this uh, pretty toxic. Hollywood environment, he returns to Hong Kong in 1971. He eventually gets his whole family to join him over there, but he does have that two-picture deal, um, Big Boss and Fist of Fury, with the production company in Hong Kong, Golden Harvest. It's a complete 180 of star status moving to Hong Kong. People there call the Green Hornet the Kato show. He's the star of the show. Um, And after these two movies, he has now started his own company, as I said before. Um, and he makes another deal with Golden Harvest. And in this uh, third movie that is really like mainstream and featuring him, The Way of the Dragon, uh, he introduces audiences to Chuck Norris for the first time, who he had met at a karate competition in California. And the showdown is a highlight of the movie, showcasing Norris's strength and Lee's speed. And there's a point where this fight shifts from Norris to Lee and for the rest of the scene Lee's just he's so quick around Chuck Norris he's not able to be caught and it also features an adorable cat little kitten spectator just watching this brutal fight go on um in this like temple scene um and yeah it's in some... the Roman Colosseum oh, okay that's I was like trying to figure out where it was and gosh it's got some iconic zooms um to make the fight that much more intense and I think Regardless of anything else Bruce did, he gave the world Chuck Norris. True. And I think that Chuck Norris is forever grateful to have been in that movie and it tr- truly getting his start there. Um, what a great fight to, to watch. So after that film, his directorial debut is a hit, and he goes on to work on both Enter the Dragon and Game of Death, the latter thought to be his magnum opus. Um, and again an entirely original story by Bruce Lee. And the only film he's ever given credit for, uh, at least writing, is Way of the Dragon. He's uncredited for both Enter the Dragon and Game of Death. Um, Game of Death is, of course, a little different because it did come out uh, a few years after he died, so it was a lot of archival footage. Um, But his last full film performance 
was Enter the Dragon, and it went to gross $200 million, inspired so much more um, in the realm of martial arts movies. And notably on set, Lee actually struck a young Jackie Chan with a fighting stick in the face for one of the final fight scenes through the underground prison. It's the, it's this fantastic, like 10 minute long showdown to get to the final boss. And one of the prison guards is Jackie Chan. And Lee immediately apologized and promised Jackie Chan that he could work in all of his movies after that. And although Lee died before he could keep his promise, this movie sparked Chan's connection with Golden Harvest, the production studio uh, that he worked with before. And along with other co-stars, Samo Kambo Hong and Biao Yun, the trio went on to make many films for the company and were forever inspired by the artistry of Bruce Lee. That's so cool. I yeah. didn't even hear about that. I was looking through the cast list while I was watching the movie and I'm like, oh my God, Jackie Chan's in this? Where? Um, and yeah, it is really a blink and you miss it. Like he gets beat up like all of the other people in that prison by Bruce Lee just going through all of these guys. Um, and apparently one of the takes, he got a little injured. On May 10th, 1973, while editing Enter the Dragon in Hong Kong, Bruce collapsed and was rushed to the hospital, but the doctors couldn't find a cause. While Bruce was still in Hong Kong that July preparing for Game of Death, he was working seven days a week. He and Betty Ting Pei were discussing having her involved in the film when he became a little dizzy. She gave him a pill that was a mix of aspirin and a tranquilizer, and he went to lie down. A couple hours later, she couldn't wake him, and she called Raymond Chow, who also couldn't wake him. Raymond called Linda, and she rushed to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, where she was told Bruce was dead. He was only 32. Doctors said that he died from brain swelling brought on by an allergic reaction to the medication. His funeral in Hong Kong was attended by 20,000 people, and he was brought back to the United States and buried in Seattle at Lakeview Cemetery. Steve McQueen was one of his pallbearers. Linda said she wanted her children to be able to come back to Seattle, the city where they had fallen in love, to be able to like know that that's where he was and not have him be in Hong Kong, the place they would no longer be living. He left behind his wife, Linda, and his two children, Brandon and Shannon. So let's talk about the rest of the making of Game of Death. So mm -hmm. Game of Death is kind of wild. Like they even have photos of him in his own coffin. And I think it's so Whoa. weird. I yeah. have never seen it. I've only seen, I think, a few clips of when there are multiples of him, I think. Is that the game? Yeah, they have like, a lot yeah. of buddy doubles. So I've I've seen some of it and I think you say like it it does look cartoonish. It it's very odd um and uncanny at times for sure. It's almost like is this camp? Is this satire? It's like deep fakes. Um, but so much worse, so much, so much worse. And deepfakes on their own are, are pretty bad at times. So even though the movie looks really cartoonish, it somehow goes on to be a huge success. Bruce Lee lives on in basically every martial arts movie we see today and through the people he taught. That Bruce lived made such an impact in his 32 years is unmatched. Another phenomenon that starts happening after Bruce Lee's death is Bruce exploitation. So immediately after his death with like the gap in celebrity that his death makes, they just hire a bunch of lookalikes, make Bruce Lee-esque films to try and just make it's their like new version of B movies. I felt that when I was watching Enter the Dragon, because there was 
so much in uh involvement with american producers i did feel like the vibe of the black exploitation era so it's no wonder that you know after the icon in those movies passes on they're going to exploit him and try to recreate the magic that that movie had but it it still does you know have have its issues and i i think yeah it's just a product of the times and if you've got american producers involved that's definitely what you're going to get we also have to remember that bruce lives on through the martial arts he invented jutkun do and it is practiced all over the world today and even by lady gaga that is that's wild i want to see like i gotta look up videos of her fighting now i bet she's awesome if she had been there to protect the pugs true they wouldn't have gotten away what three words would you use to describe Bruce Lee? I think the first one would be student. I, I think that his whole life, he was constantly learning. Um, and it was, uh, it was all over the place. And, you know, as we said, he, he kind of has his hand in every pool of the arts. Um, and also with philosophy, he's, he's constantly learning through, that um and it's all connected it seems through his films through his fighting so definitely a student and then i'd say resilient i i think that enduring all of the things that he did um and then you know as tragic of an end his legacy does still live on so that's i think very impressive that yeah, within the 32 years of life, he, he made such a huge impact. And the third one, I, like lightning. Watching the fight scenes, he's so fast. And I, re- I read one story from one of his friends when they were back in Hong Kong in 1970. He was kind of like a fashion icon. And he had these suits that had like the collar and lapels kind of adjusted. He looks so good. I, yeah. Yeah. And there was the story where he was walking home one night and he was kind of accosted by two youths in the street, making fun of him for the way he dressed to saying, no, what you're going home to your mom or something. Honestly, who cares if he is, but he at one point turns around in the alleyway when they've just been following him for miles and miles. And he just kicks one of them in the shin really hard. And the friend who was remembering this story is like, if that had been Bruce, a couple of years ago, it would have been much more than just a kick in the shins. I can only imagine how much that alone would have hurt from him. He was so fast. Let's talk about some of the ways that the world has memorialized Bruce Lee. So there's a statue of him in Los Angeles in Chinatown that's been there since 2013. There's another in Hong Kong, which was unveiled on what would have been his 65th birthday in 2005. There is another statue of Bruce Lee in Mostar, and it was dedicated the day before the Hong Kong statue was. And it is in Bosnia, Herjevo. And they actually cited Bruce Lee as being a unifying symbol against the ethnic divisions in the country that had happened during the Bosnian War. So when the country came back together, that they all unified under Bruce Lee, which I think is really cool. The home that Bruce and his family had been living in at the time of his death was sold by Raymond Chow to Yu Peng Lin, a mainland real estate magnate, and was converted into a love hotel, which is kind of gross. Yeah, that is not cool. 
did was Raymond okay with that? Who cares? He didn't own it. If he Damn. cared, why didn't he, why he sell it? Uh, needs the money. That's that sucks. Poor Bruce. Got to make another housed. movie. Yeah. And then in 2009, you announced plans to preserve the home and to make it into a tourist site. However, at the time of you's death in 2015, this hadn't happened. In 2018, you's grandson, Peng Chi Ping, announced that the space would be turned into a culture and music center. But this idea was short-lived. And in September 2019, the building was torn down with some of the windows and a mosaic made by Bruce being preserved. Another funny anecdote, Bruce Lee tops the polls of what we should rename schools that are currently named after Robert E. Lee. I think that's a great idea. They really so, just have yep. to change the first name of that and replace a statue. Get get out of here, Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Let's get a Bruce Lee statue in the halls. That'd be so cool to walk into. I think that's more inspirational, too. Yeah. Bruce Lee definitely kicked way more ass than Robert E. Lee. Yeah, never surrendered either. But as of the time that that survey by Mother Jones went out, uh, they have not renamed any schools after Bruce Lee, which is uh, a bummer. I get that we have other things on our mind, but I would like some action. Any final thoughts on Bruce Lee's life, career, legacy? I think that, you know, learning that he was so multi-talented was something that I personally never knew. I always saw him as, yeah, a pioneer in martial arts. Um, having seen clips of movies, um, I, I can see that his influence is definitely through people like Jackie Chan. The style that he brought, um, which was just so exciting to watch. So no wonder they kept making movies like that. And no wonder people like Jackie Chan have had such success, um, you know, being involved in that whole scene and i think that you know i know i don't know if we're going to talk about his son brandon um but i that think that'd is be a good mini-sode definitely would be a great mini-sode um you know another so i don't want to give it any away another tragedy though so his his legacy is definitely um transcending through generations um so i, I think that Learning how how talented he was through all of it, um, and just how how far his influence has stretched is is really remarkable. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Fatal Fortunes. Please make sure you check us out on social media and on Patreon. That's Nathan. That's Al. On Tuesdays we talk ghosts. See you next time. <laughs>